welcome to the Prophecy Club. I'm about to try the, <laughs> the impossible, and that is I'm going to try to explain one of my charts on radio without you looking at the chart. Quite frankly, I'm about to, like I say, it's the impossible, because you really need to have this chart in front of you, and you're going to have to get the book to understand this. But nevertheless, I'm going to take a stab at it. And the reason is partly because I'm kind of pressed because I've got eight more broadcasts I've got to do before I leave town for Malaysia, so I'm a little bit grabby for, for a broadcast. But the real reason is it's been on my heart to try to do this for a long time because I would really like for you to know what is on this chart. But I already tried that. I already made three DVDs trying to explain this in audio and video. And I finally concluded that it just can't be done. There are some things that you just have to read. The chart helps, but you just have to read it. And like this one lady came up to my table for me to sign her book at the crusade. And she says, I tell you what I thought. So I got your skinny little book in the mail. And she says, I want to tell you, I'm an avid reader. And I looked at your skinny little book, and I thought, man, I'm going to blow through this in three hours. She said, I'll read two or three books a week. And she says, that was two weeks ago. <laughs> in other words, it's a skinny little book, but I specifically had them printed on nice, white, high-quality paper. But I had to put on thin paper. Why? Because I think, and this is what I'm hearing from other people, that this is going to be a reference book that you are going to probably carry with your Bible probably for the rest of your life, because I don't know that anyone, maybe outside of myself, and I even have to go back and refresh my memory on Revelation all the time, simply because I forget. And you're probably going to have to carry this book with you, especially if you want to be teaching Bible prophecy to all the little scared rabbits that have woke up and discovered that there was no pre-trib rapture, there was no mid-trib rapture, and now they're in the middle of the tribulation, and they are behind, they do not know prophecy, and they have to catch up. And they're going to be grabbing for my book. They're going to be grabbing for people that can explain this. And that's one of the reasons I think Prophecy Club exists, to get you prepared to give them an answer. So here you go. I'm going to try to explain this. Now, I'm looking at a chart. It has the seven feasts listed down across the bottom. Those seven feasts are Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, Trumpets, Atonement, Tabernacles. Those are the dates. In other words, when God does something, he always, in other words, when it's a major issue, he always does it on his feasts. Always. It, it, when we get to heaven and we see this whole life back, we're going to be amazed at how many things he did on those dates. So anyway, first one's Passover. Jesus fulfilled Passover. As you recall, he was crucified the afternoon before Passover. Jesus was our Passover lamb. He fulfilled unleavened bread. Now, I'm about to give you something really big here. Oh, I wish I had understood this for the last 40 years I've been studying prophecy. So, Jesus fulfilled unleavened bread. He was in the grave for three days. Jesus also fulfilled first fruits. First fruits. Now, we're about to have Michael Rood on, and I like Michael. I think he is just about the best at explaining the, the feasts, as far as I'm concerned. And, but the problem is one of the things he says on there, and you'll hear it because that's probably going to be some of the upcoming broadcasts, you'll hear him say, and a lot of people believe that Jesus fulfilled the spring feasts and he returns to fulfill the fall feasts. 
that's not, <laughs> love Michael Rood, but that's not exactly accurate. That's one of the things the Lord showed me in this book. But then this book was my opinion really to correct a whole lot of misunderstandings because we really are about to head into the tribulation and he wants his people to understand. So, yes, Jesus fulfilled Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. However, he was not here for Pentecost. As you recall, according to Acts one eleven, that was on the 40th day after he arose in first fruits. That's when he ascended. And remember, the angels standing beside them said, And you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same, those are big words, remember those words, this same Jesus that you have seen ascend into heaven shall so return in like manner. Now, what did that say? That just said, the same Jesus will return exactly in the same way. I cannot tell you how many times that I made the mistake and I said, well, the next time Jesus returns, he's going to return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wrong. He's going to return to the Mount of Olives. Wrong. He's going to put his foot down upon the Mount of Olives. They're going to split in through the north, south, east, and west. Wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. Because I didn't understand what I'm about to tell you. When Jesus ascended after the 40 days, after first fruits, did he fulfill Pentecost? No, he didn't. He was in heaven for 10 days by the time Pentecost rolled around. You remember Pentecost, Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, 3,000 people saved, all that sort of stuff. That was Pentecost. Pentecost is primarily a Gentile or primarily a washed in the blood of Jesus feast. It is not generally associated with the Jews and those people that do not have Jesus. That's another story we'll skip. But anyway, so let's talk about first fruits. Here's the big thing that I wish I'd had for the last 40 years, and that is prophetic time. When did prophetic time stop? In other words, Jesus said that after two days is the feast of the Passover. Well, since we know that If you want to understand the end, you have to understand the beginning. And that's not saying that if you want to understand Revelation, you have to understand Genesis. That's saying that if you want to understand the end times, you have to understand that the Bible repeats over and over and over. All of the Bible is prophecy. Let me say it again. All of the Bible is prophecy. In other words, just as the two witnesses are bringing havoc before the Antichrist and the false prophet in the last days... They are a type and shadow. They are a repeat of Moses and Aaron standing before the Pharaoh. And so, once again, history repeats. However, I cannot tell you how many times I thought, wow, well, if we only knew what, when prophetic time stopped, then we'd have a pretty good idea on when Jesus returns. So I'm about to tell you when prophetic time stopped. Because I used to think, okay, did prophetic time stop? When Jesus was conceived, or when he was born, or when he was baptized in the river Jordan by John, or when he was crucified, or when he arose, when he ascended, or when the the uh, church was the gospel was taken to the church. I mean, what is it? I mean, wh- when is it? Because Hosea six two says, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will lift us up, and we will live in his sight. So we know that the church age is two thousand years. Now, is that exactly 2,000 years? Well, 
You want to think so. The Bible says after two days, and then, you know, you look at James. James says a day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So two days is two thousand years. So if we knew when prophetic time stopped, and if we knew when prophetic time started again, we could insert 2,000 years there and we'd have a real good idea on when Jesus returns. Would you like to know? Okay, I'm going to tell you. Now, before I tell you, I'm going to give you a disclaimer. I'm not trying to set a date here because one of the things I've learned is <laughs> that God does not operate on our dates. He operates based upon a sin level and he operates on his own time. And I cannot tell you how many times I have seen good people miss it because our God is very kind and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I'm not trying to set a date here. What I am trying to say is that it's done, it's not 100 years. I just talked to a brother just the other day. He says, well, I don't know. Maybe it's 100 years. Maybe it's another 200 years. I said, no. It may be as short as two or three years. Again, I'm not trying to set a date. I'm trying to say it's short, okay? Now, with that in mind, Jesus arose on first fruits, and the Bible says that he is the first fruits of them that slept, meaning he was the first one to get the glorified body, the glorified body that we will be getting in all eternity. However, the Bible says that he arose as a lamb. However, it was the same lamb body that walked around for 40 days. It was the same lamb body that he allowed Thomas to feel the nail scars in his hand, the spear uh, side uh, stabbing in the side. It was the same lamb body that had fish with disciples. And that's the reason Acts 1.11 says, You men of Galilee, why stand ye looking up? This same Jesus. So he left in a lamb body. And the next time he returns, he's going to return in a lamb body, not king of kings, not Lord of Lords. I'll show you. So anyway, so he arose on first fruits. He walked around for 40 days. Thomas felt the nail scars and the spear scar in the side and had fish with his disciples. Then 40 days later, he ascended as a lamb. Then when he ascended, he's going to reascend on the same first fruits. How do you know, Stan? You got scripture for that? Yes, I do. Revelation 14, 1. I looked, and lo, a lamb stood upon the Mount Sion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name in their foreheads. Hold it. Stop everything. See, because I used to think that the next time Jesus returns, he returned to the Mount of Olives. But Revelation 14, 1 says he returns to Mount Zion. Well, Mount Zion is not the Mount of Olives. You go to your map and you see that Mount Zion's about a 30-minute walk from the Mount of Olives. Yeah, they're close, but it's not the same mountain. So it's saying that Jesus returns the next time as a lamb. All right, now when he returns, he returns with the 144,000. How do we know that? All right, let's pause it. Again, this is complicated. You got to get the book. I, I will, I will talk. I can make 30 broadcasts on this and I don't think you'd get it. Uh, our Bible study uh, for a Friday night, the last, I think it's eight Friday nights, I've been going through this for an hour and a half every Friday night, and just here the last Friday night or two, just now they're starting to get it. Just now the glaze is starting to go away from their eyeballs because they're finally getting it. Matter of fact, I asked one, I said, you guys finally getting this? They said, yes, but it's it's complicated. I mean, it's it's not but it is, okay? So you just got to study it out. So anyway, let's go back to this. So 
Jesus arose on first fruits, walked around for 40 days. And then after the 40 days, he ascended. And the next time he returns, he returns again on first fruits. How do you know that? So let's go from Revelation 14, 1. Let's get two verses. Let's go to Revelation 14, 4. And it says, These are they that are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they that follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Now, here's the key word. See, I call my book The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy. I'm about to tell you the secret door. It's one word. It's one word that is found in Revelation 14.4 and Leviticus 23.12. And that word is first fruits. When you understand what first fruits means related to Jesus, now let's go back to Revelation 14.4. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and the Lamb. So these 144,000 are the first fruits. Let's go on. And their mouth has found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Who are these 144,000? How is it that they have no guile in their mouth? How is it that they are without fault before the throne of God? How do you find 144,000 people anywhere throughout human history that have no guile in their mouth and they're without fault before the throne of God? And in that they are the first fruits means that these will be the first since Jesus to get their glorified body. Now, whatever happened to those 500 people that came out of the grave on the day that Jesus came out of the grave, I don't know. That's for Jesus to decide. Maybe they also got their glorified bodies. Bible doesn't say. So I'm not even talking about that. All right, so let's go back to first fruits. Who are they? So then you go back to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23 gives a sacrifice that has to take place on first fruits. And it says that you have to find a he lamb without blemish of the first year. So that tells you who these 144,000 are. They are he lambs without blemish of the first year. Now you remember when David looked down and he saw Bathsheba and she was bathing on one of the housetops. And he says to his servant, hey, I'd like to have her. So he arranged to make a child with Bathsheba. That child died at seven years old. And it is my opinion that probably that child will be one of the 144,000. How do we know? Look at Leviticus 23, 12 again. And it says, and that sacrifice has to be a he lamb of the first year. Meaning, as we see from Revelation 7, they all have to be Jews, as in there are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. So they have to be Jew, they have to be male, they have to be of the first year. So these are 144,000 Jews or sons of Israel that all died in the first year. And the reason they have no guile in their mouth is because they never learned to talk. The reason they are without fault before the throne of God, same thing. They never learned to talk. They never had a sin. So those 144,000 are specifically chosen by God. Now, there's one other sacrifice that takes place on first fruits, And that is the high priest is commanded to take a sheaf of fine barley flour. Now, the reason we know it's barley flour is because this is the first harvest of the year. And the first harvest of the year is barley. Barley always ripens first. So he takes a sheaf. All right, what's a sheaf? A sheaf is a handful. He takes a handful of barley flour. He's allowed to mix oil with it. And then he makes what is going to be kind of a large cookie looking affair. And then he cooks it. That means that these 144,000 
represent all of the Jews that are allowed to go to the marriage supper. The only ones that get to go to the marriage supper are those that have no guile in their mouth or without fault before the throne of God. So those 144,000, they get to go to the marriage supper. So while Jesus is walking around, once Jesus returns for his next return on the Mount of Zion, he walks around with these 144,000 one-year-old, at least they, they died one-year-old. Now they're probably resurrected to a new glorified mature body. But they walk around on Mount Zion. The problem is Mount Zion is actually a pretty small mountain. Now, like the AT&T Stadium that Dallas Cowboys play in, that holds about 109,000 people. So getting 144,000 people on Mount Zion, if you'll go Google it and look at it, you see, that's fairly crowded. In other words, they're probably not going to stay there because they walk around with Jesus for, for 50 days. Now, the reason I say they walk around with Jesus is because these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. So 144,000 people can't stay on Mount Zion too long. They've got to walk around. What do they do? I think they're going to walk around. And what is going on at this time? Well, this is when the Antichrist has now been in the Holy of Holies, along with the false prophet, for now about three years. My opinion, we're probably about five, somewhere around five months until Jesus returns the second time. At this time, the locusts have already been released onto the earth, they're commanded not to kill people, but only to sting them and torment them for five months. But they're commanded that they are not to touch the people that have the seal of God on their forehead, meaning the 144,000. So now, 50 days later, it's Pentecost. This fulfills the scripture, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, it didn't say all of those in Christ, it just said the dead in Christ, meaning Everyone, everyone, everyone that has ever accepted Jesus now is resurrected and goes with the barley harvest, goes with the 144,000 up to the marriage supper. This is where it says, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, we get a wedding garment and a white horse to return with Jesus about four months later. Jesus, however, and by the way, the marriage supper is all about Jesus. In this case, it is not about the bride. It's about the groom. Jesus is then changed. He is changed from being a lamb to a lion. He's changed from being the prince of the kings of the earth to being the king of kings and lord of lords. He receives many crowns, a vesture dipped in blood, and also a white horse. And he's given a name which no man knoweth, but he that receiveth it, meaning Jesus. Then at the marriage supper, we Jesus. it's all about Jesus. At the marriage supper, is this is when the scripture is quoted that says, A voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard him say, Hallelujah. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her is granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. This is where we hear, I saw a great multitude, which no man could number, stand before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palms in their hands, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. This is when we see Jesus for the first time. Then about four months later, on the grape harvest, on Armageddon, that's when the scriptures fulfilled, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon it is called Faithful and True, 
and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and he had on his head many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knoweth save he himself, and he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, and that's us, followed, in on, followed him on white horses, clean and white. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp two-edged sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth out the winepress and the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So that's Armageddon. That happens on trumpets. Then, about ten days later, this is on the tenth day of the seventh month, this is atonement. This fulfills the scripture that says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And whosoever was not found read in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. That's atonement. That's the judgment by works. Jesus is the judge there. So whosoever received Jesus reports to the judgment seat of Christ on trumpets. Whosoever did not receive Jesus reports to the judgment by works or the judgment by books, which is atonement. Five days later is tabernacles. That fulfills the scripture. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them. And he shall be their God, and God, and they shall be his people. God swap away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now let's back up and talk about the nations. So when Jesus returns on the day of the Lord, which is one evening and one morning, that's on trumpets. And when he returns, two angels return with him. They crush or slash the grapes. Jesus burns the tares. Those people that did receive Jesus are judged then. Everyone that received Jesus gets the rewards all on that same day. This is the day that everything done in secret is open and made manifest. Everything that is hidden is shouted from the rooftops. So we get to see everything except those things that are coven, covered by the garment. Then those people that survived that, but they did not receive Jesus, and they didn't receive, but they didn't take the mark of the beast either. Those are the nations. These are the corners not harvested. They're allowed to live a thousand years, but upon their first sin, a morning star judge shows up and hits them with the morning star, destroying both body and soul, or at the end of 1,000 years, they're all destroyed. These are the people that are ruled over with the rod of iron. After a 1,000 years, Satan is loosed out of his prison, and he goeth out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea, and he went upon the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about. And fire from God out of heaven devoureth them. In other words, that's the morning star. At the end of the 1,000 years, they are all destroyed. So, in conclusion, when Jesus returns the next time, it is on first fruits. Then he walks around for 50 days. And then after the 50 days on Pentecost, 
Those people that are washed in the blood of the Lamb, for example, the scripture where the angel turns to John and says, Who are these arrayed in white robes, whence came they? And he said unto him, Sir, thou knowest, these are they which came out of great tribulation, and washed the robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple." meaning that those are the ones that are washed in the blood of Jesus. So on first fruits, the 144,000 are resurrected. Then on Pentecost, all of those people that are washed in the blood of the Lamb are resurrected. Then both the barley and the wheat go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus changes from lamb to lion, changes from prince to the kings of the earth. He's given a vesture dipped in his own blood. And then at the end of the four months, which is on trumpets, He returns, and we return with him, and that's the day of judgment. That is the judgment by fire. That is on trumpets. That's the judgment seat of Christ. And then we return with him, and we watch him destroy all of the terrors with the morning star, and we watch the angels with the two sharp sickles crush or slice the grapes. That's the reason the blood flows up to the horses bridled by the space of a 1,600 furlongs, and that's when the nations are told If you sin, you are destroyed, and they are given up to a thousand years to live. Ten days later is atonement or the judgment by works. All those people that have not received Jesus, everyone else reports to the great white throne. Jesus is the judge there. Five days later is tabernacles. That's when the golden city returns, and that's when it comes down. The entire earth has been turned into a a nice, round, smooth ball. That's when every high place falls, every low place fills in. The crooked places are made straight, and the rough places are made smooth. The entire earth is made into a nice, round, smooth ball, and there is no more sea. Except there is one mountain on earth, and that is a great and high mountain. On top of that mountain is the New Jerusalem, which is about 250 miles square. It's made of solid gold, except it is not yellow. It is clear as crystal. Another place that says transparent as glass. By this time, we're in a glorified bodies and we move at the speed of thought, and we live forever, ever and ever. Those that have turned many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever. In other words, based upon the number of souls we have saved, that's how bright we burn. Now let me tell you about my book. In 2017, I memorized the book of Revelation just as a simple project. Surprisingly, I began to receive information on 30 revelations and two visions beyond what is found in the Bible. God showed me a secret door, which is based upon a single word found in Revelation and Leviticus, linking the feasts to the prophecies. When linked, a person enters into an understanding of Bible prophecy not previously known. Even though I've been in the world of Bible prophecy for 40 years, frankly, I did not know anything of what is in this book. One prophetic word described it this way. There is a lock that I have put over a word in the book of Revelation that I'm going to open to you. It will turn so many books written on the end-time message into obsolete books. That's this book. Topics are, Jesus returns on what feast? The secret of the feasts. Who are the two witnesses? What is the morning star? The judgment seat explained. The great white throne explained. The nations explained. What is the shout? And the parables explained. Seals, trumpets, and vials go in what order? Two amazing prophecy charts on the back flap, 12 inches by 9 inches. Imagine a book on prophecy that brings a fresh, new, accurate perspective. I don't want you to get one book for $20. I want you to get five books for $30 or 
10 for 55. It's called The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy, available at prophecyclub.com. The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy, 1 for 20. No, 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 don't do that. You want to get 5 for 30 or the best deal, 10 for 55. prophecyclub.com. Each single Prophecy Club DVD is a gift of $30. In that you know the internet is going away one day, it is a good idea to actually have the disc. However, at WatchProphecyClub.com, you can have instant access to over 200 titles on a recurring monthly subscription of $20 or yearly for $200 at WatchProphecyClub.com. That's $6,000 worth of information at WatchProphecyClub.com. That's WatchProphecyClub.com. What a deal. Leslie and I have accepted an invitation to speak and minister at a conference in Malaysia. We know it is a test to see if we're willing to lose money to minister to people on the other side of the earth at a loss. With your help and the help of God, we will be successful. We've already charged the $20,000 in tickets on our credit card for us and our assistants to go. We want you to go with us, at least spiritually. We want you to share in the fruit of our labors by sharing in the estimated $25,000 in expenses to go and take the gospel and Bible prophecy to the other side of the earth. Go to prophecyclub.com. You can also support us by texting the word prophecy to 444-999 and follow the prompts. We're going May 18th through June 5th. Engage in the battle to win lost souls to Christ by supporting this ministry today.